This episode of the MedBullet Step 1 podcast will go over the topic of peptic ulcer disease from the gastrointestinal section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 65-year-old male presents with complaints of epigastric pain and belching, which improves when he eats food but gets worse within a few hours after his meal. The pain is described as stabbing, intermittent, and concentrated at the epigastric region. He noticed a 5-pound weight loss over the past 3 months and a dark color to his stools. Calcium carbonate seems to help with the pain. Now let's get into the topic. As a quick introduction, peptic ulcer disease is clinically defined and characterized by erosion and defects in the mucosal lining of the stomach, duodenum, and sometimes the lower esophagus that persists as a function of the acid or peptic activity in gastric juice. Gastric ulcers describe ulcers occurring at the stomach. Duodenal ulcers describe ulcers occurring at the duodenum. In duodenal ulcers, abdominal pain is relieved with food intake, and the majority or 90% of cases are secondary to helicobacter pylori. Duodenal ulcers carry a lower risk of malignancy. In gastric ulcers, on the other hand, abdominal pain is exacerbated with food intake, and the leading cause are H. pylori followed by use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs. Keep in mind that gastric ulcers carry a higher risk of malignancy. With respect to epidemiology, as far as the demographics, ulcer incidence increases with age. H. pylori is the predominant cause of peptic ulcer disease worldwide. There is increasing prevalence of NSAID-related peptic ulcer disease due to widespread use of aspirin and NSAIDs. Risk factors include NSAIDs, smoking, stress, and age. In terms of pathogenesis, Development of ulcers is secondary to the disruption of normal protective mechanisms of the gastric mucosa, for example, bicarbonate. In the setting of an H. pylori etiology of peptic ulcer disease, secretion of urease creates an alkaline environment which allows for the survival of the bacteria. Inflammatory cytokines inhibit parietal cell acid secretion causing gastric ulcers. At the pyloric antrum, somatostatin production is reduced and gastric acid production is increased, leading to metaplasia of the duodenal cells and causing duodenal ulcers. In the setting of NSAIDs, remember that the mechanism of action blocks the function of cyclooxygenase 1, or COX-1, which is essential for the production of prostaglandins that stimulate the secretion of mucus that protects the gastric mucosa. It also inhibits stomach mucosa cell proliferation and mucosal blood flow. Other causes of peptic ulcer disease include stress from serious illness, gastric ischemia, metabolic disturbances, vasculitis, and a gastronoma, or Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. Associated conditions include Zollinger-Ellison syndrome, which you should suspect in patients with refractory duodenal ulcers. Other conditions may include Bichette's disease and Crohn's disease. Peptic ulcer disease are characterized by painful sores or ulcers in the lining of the stomach or duodenum, where there is a breach in the mucosa with extension into the submucosa or deeper. Peptic ulcer disease occurs when gastric acid secretion outweighs mucosal defenses. This is most commonly due to decreased mucosal barrier in the setting of chronic NSAID use, H. pylori, and or smoking. Keep in mind that peptic ulcer disease is less commonly due to acid hypersecretion, such as in the setting of a gastronoma or Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. Moving on to the presentation of peptic ulcer disease, patients will have symptoms of abdominal pain, which is most common at the upper quadrants, belching, vomiting, weight loss, poor appetite, bloating, hematemesis, and or melana. Physical exam may reveal abdominal tenderness and peritoneal signs of perforation. Moving on to imaging, 
esophageal gastroduodenoscopy, or an EGD, is the gold standard of diagnosis. This is indicated in patients who show no symptom improvement following a few weeks of treatment. This allows for direct visual identification and allows for evaluation of the location and severity of the disease. Biopsy is important for the differentiation between benign ulcers and malignancy. Abdominal and chest radiographs may be useful in detecting pneumoperitoneum secondary to perforation. Positive findings include air fluid levels with bowel dilation or free air. Other studies you can obtain include the urease breath test and a complete blood count. A urease breath test is the best initial test. It's also non-invasive and allows for the detection of H. pylori infection. A complete blood count is often normal. The differentiating factors between gastric malignancy and peptic ulcer disease is that lesions will appear different on endoscopy and will be confirmed via biopsy. Differentiating factors between chronic pancreatitis and peptic ulcer disease is that chronic pancreatitis may have characteristic disease history and will present with calcifications on abdominal imaging. Moving on to the treatment of peptic ulcer disease, management depends on disease etiology and severity. Lifestyle changes include discontinuing smoking and NSAIDs. In the setting of H. pylori-induced peptic ulcer disease, you can use clarithromycin, amoxicillin, and pantoprazole for 7 to 14 days. You can also use clarithromycin, amoxicillin, pantoprazole, and metronidazole for 7 to 14 days. In the setting of NSAID-induced peptic ulcer disease, make sure you stop the NSAID use and you can introduce a proton pump inhibitor, or PPI. In the setting of bleeding ulcers, resuscitation must be carried out with IV fluids and or blood products. You can also use an IV proton pump inhibitor. Finally, endoscopic therapy with either cautery, endoclip, or epinephrine injection may be warranted. Surgery is indicated in patients with a perforated ulcer and or hemorrhage, and this requires IV antibiotics and proton pump inhibitor prior to repair. Other indications include peptic ulcer disease refractory to medical therapy and Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. Complications of peptic ulcer disease include bleeding, perforation, obstruction, and malignancy. In the setting of perforation, you will manage this with broad-spectrum antibiotics, a PPI, and emergency surgery. Perforated gastric ulcers may erode the left gastric artery, and perforated duodenal ulcers may erode the gastroduodenal artery. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 42-year-old man comes to his primary care physician complaining of abdominal pain. He describes intermittent, burning, epigastric pain over the past four months. He reports that the pain worsens following meals, and he had an upper gastrointestinal endoscopy done two months ago that showed a gastric ulcer without evidence of malignancy. The patient was prescribed pantoprazole with minimal improvement in symptoms. He denies nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or melana. The patient has no other medical problems. He had a total knee replacement three years ago following a motor vehicle accident for which he took naproxen for two months for pain management. He has smoked one pack per day since the age of 22 and drinks one to two beers several nights a week with dinner. He works as a truck driver, and his diet consists of mostly fast food. His family history is notable for hypertension in his paternal grandfather and coronary artery disease in his mother. On physical examination, the abdomen is soft, non-distended, and mildly tender in the mid-epigastric region. A stool test is positive for helicobacter pylori antigen. In addition to antibiotic therapy, which of the following is the most likely to decrease the recurrence of the patient's symptoms? And the choices are 1. Salicoxib 2. Increased milk consumption 3. Low-fat diet
four, octreotide, and five, smoking cessation. The correct answer to this question is five, smoking cessation. So the patient is presenting with peptic ulcer disease confirmed by upper gastrointestinal endoscopy. Smoking cessation is most likely to decrease symptom recurrence. Peptic ulcer disease occurs when gastric acid secretion overcomes gastrointestinal mucosal defenses. Patients with gastric ulcers present with mid-epigastric pain that often worsens with meals. Lifestyle changes known to decrease recurrence of symptoms include smoking cessation and avoidance of NSAIDs. Pharmacologic management may include mucosal protectors such as bismuth and sucralfate and acid controllers such as proton pump inhibitors or H2 receptor antagonists. If helicobacter pylori is found, antibiotics are used for eradication. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, salicoxib, is a selective COX-2 inhibitor that may be less likely to cause gastrointestinal harm compared to non-selective NSAIDs. However, it would not be prescribed to prevent symptom recurrence or to manage peptic ulcer disease. Answer 2, increasing milk consumption has not been shown to decrease symptoms in patients with peptic ulcer disease. Answer 3, low-fat diets as well as avoidance of alcohol or caffeine may decrease symptoms in some patients with peptic ulcer disease, but studies are inconsistent. And finally, answer 4, octreotide is a somatostatin analog, and it is used in the management of carcinoid syndrome and VIPomas, not in peptic ulcer disease caused by helicobacter pylori. To leave you with the bullet summary, smoking cessation can decrease the recurrence of symptoms in peptic ulcer disease. Moving on to the next question. A 52-year-old Caucasian male presents to your office complaining of black tarry stool. Which of the following possible causes of this patient's presentation is least associated with the development of carcinoma? And the choices are 1. Barrett's esophagus, 2. H. pylori infection, 3. Adenomatous polyp, 4. Gastric ulcer, and 5. Duodenal ulcer. correct answer to this question is 5, duodenal ulcer. So in contrast to gastric ulcers, duodenal ulcers are not associated with the development of carcinoma. Ulcers are breaches in the wall of the gut that penetrate into the submucosa. Both gastric and duodenal ulcers are often caused by H. pylori infection, and H. pylori is known to increase a patient's risk of developing gastric cancer. However, for reasons that are not well understood, duodenal ulcers do not result in the development of duodenal carcinoma. Adenocarcinoma of the small intestine is extremely rare, although it can occur sporadically. Ramakrishnan et al. reviews peptic ulcer disease. Peptic ulcer disease is commonly seen in the stomach and proximal duodenum. NSAIDs and H. pylori are the predominant causes in the U.S. Patients complain of epigastric pain that may be either relieved by eating or antacids, loss of appetite, and weight loss. Biecker et al. discuss causes and treatment of gastrointestinal bleeding. Peptic ulcer disease angiodysplasias, Mallory-Weiss lesions, and variceal disease are common causes of upper GI bleeding. Endoscopy allows diagnosis and therapeutic intervention. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, Barrett's esophagus is metaplasia of the esophagus that frequently progresses to adenocarcinoma. Answer 2, H. pylori infection is a common cause of gastric ulcers and raises a patient's risk of gastric carcinoma. Answer 3, adenomatous colon polyps are precursors of colorectal cancer. And answer four, gastric ulcers are commonly caused by H. pylori, which raises a patient's risk of gastric carcinoma. Moving on to the next question. A 41-year-old male who takes NSAIDs regularly for his chronic back pain develops severe abdominal pain worse with eating. 
Upper endoscopy is performed, and the medical student asks the supervising physician how the histological differentiation between a gastric ulcer and erosion is made. Which of the following layers of the gastric mucosa must be breached for a lesion to be considered an ulcer? And the choices are 1. Epithelium. 2. Epithelium and lamina propria. 3. Epithelium, lamina propria, and muscularis mucosa. 4. Epithelium, lamina propria, muscularis mucosa, and submucosa. And 5. Epithelium, lamina propria, muscularis mucosa, submucosa, and adventitia. The correct answer to this question is 4. Epithelium, lamina propria, muscularis mucosa, and submucosa. So gastric ulcers, by definition, are a breach in the mucosa with extension into the submucosa or deeper layers. That is, the submucosa must be involved if a lesion is to be called an ulcer. In contrast, erosions are mucosal defects that do not penetrate the muscularis mucosa. The layers of the gut wall are as follows, beginning in the lumen. 1. Mucosa, which includes the epithelium, lamina propria, and muscularis mucosa. 2. The submucosa, including Meisner's plexus. 3. Muscularis externa, including Auerbach's plexus, and 4. Serosa slash adventitia. Semble and Wu reviewed the effects of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs on the gastric mucosa. Since NSAIDs inhibit both cyclooxygenase 1 and 2, with COX-1 being very important for gastric mucosal defense against gastric acid, NSAIDs decrease the gastric mucosa's ability to protect itself from the very acid that it produces. Therefore, it is necessary to be cautious when taking NSAIDs on a continual basis as their consumption may lead to gastric erosions, gastric ulcers, or upper gastrointestinal bleeding. Ramakrishnan and Salinas reviewed the symptoms, causes, and treatments of peptic-slash-gastric ulcer disease, which normally occurs in the stomach or proximal duodenum. The main causes for gastric ulcers are the usage of NSAIDs or infection with H. pylori. Gastric ulcers usually present with epigastric discomfort, loss of appetite, and weight loss due to the discomfort. The pain is usually relieved when antacids are taken or during food consumption. NSAIDs should be discontinued if an ulcer is detected and treatment should be given if H. pylori is found to be the causative agent. Treatment for H. pylori consists of eliminating the bacteria and administrating a proton pump inhibitor for up to four weeks or until the ulcer heals. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, epithelium, and answer 2, epithelium and lamina propria are incorrect as these describe an erosion which does not penetrate into the submucosa. Answer 3, epithelium, lamina propria, and muscularis mucosa is incorrect as to be classified as an ulcer, the submucosa must also be penetrated. And finally, answer 5, epithelium, lamina propria, muscularis mucosa, submucosa, and adventitia is incorrect as while deeper tissue can be breached in an ulceration, the serosa or adventitia is not required to be disrupted to differentiate an erosion from an ulceration. And moving on to the final question. A 54-year-old man presents to the emergency department with severe abdominal pain. For seven months, he has noticed abdominal pain shortly after eating, and the pain worsened in intensity this week. Prior to today, the pain was 6 out of 10, sharp and gnawing in nature, and would go away after one hour. Today, the pain is 10 out of 10 and has been unrelenting for 30 minutes. He denies chest pain, shortness of breath, vomiting, or diarrhea. He has noticed that his stools have been darker than usual lately. His temperature is 99.2 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.3 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 90 over 62 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 95 per minute. And respirations are 19 per minute. 
On exam, his abdomen is rigid with guarding. On abdominal ultrasound, there is free fluid in the hepatorenal recess. Perforation of which of the following vessels most likely contributed to the findings on ultrasound? And the choices are 1. Gastroduodenal artery. 2. Left gastric artery. 3. Left gastroepiploic artery. 4. Proper hepatic artery. And 5. Short gastric artery. The correct answer to this question is 2. Left gastric artery. So this patient with a history of gastric ulcers in the setting of abdominal pain associated with meals and melana is presenting with severe abdominal pain as well as rigidity and guarding suggesting perforation. He also has hypotension and free abdominal fluid. This is most consistent with the perforated gastric ulcer with massive bleeding, which is most likely the result of left gastric artery erosion. Peptic ulcer disease involves one or more ulcerative lesions in the stomach or duodenum. Gastric ulcers cause epigastric pain associated with meals, while the pain associated with duodenal ulcers improves with meals. Severe complications of peptic ulcers include perforation and bleeding. Perforated ulcers present with severe abdominal pain secondary to peritonitis and may be associated with bleeding if one of the abdominal vessels is involved. Gastric ulcers most commonly occur in the lesser curvature of the stomach and the antrum, and the left gastric artery is particularly susceptible to bleeding. Duodenal ulcers of the posterior wall are more likely to cause hemorrhage of the gastroduodenal artery. Peptic ulcer perforation and massive bleeding are treated with emergent surgery to repair the defect and control the hemorrhage. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, gastroduodenal artery bleeding is associated with perforation of duodenal ulcers located on the posterior wall. Duodenal ulcers cause epigastric pain that is relieved with meals, not worse with meals. Answer 3, left gastroepiploic artery bleeding is not associated with perforated gastric ulcers. The left gastroepiploic artery supplies the greater curvature of the stomach. Gastric ulcers are less common in the greater curvature of the stomach due to the location and distribution of the acid-secreting parietal cells. Answer 4. Proper hepatic artery bleeding is not associated with perforated peptic ulcers. The proper hepatic artery supplies the liver and gallbladder after branching from the common hepatic artery and is located superolateral to the stomach. And finally, answer 5. Short gastric artery bleeding is not associated with perforated peptic ulcers. The short gastric arteries supply the greater curvature of the stomach. Gastric ulcers are less common in the greater curvature of the stomach due to the location and distribution of the acid-secreting parietal cells. And to leave you with a bullet summary, perforated gastric ulcers are most common in the antrum and lesser curvature of the stomach and may cause bleeding of the left gastric artery. That's all for this review about peptic ulcer disease. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 1 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.